Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy Murat Tatesh. Murat, what's going on, man? Uh, just happy to be here, Dem. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I um, I'm very excited to do the show with you. I've wanted to uh, to talk about the Jets at you know greater length on the show for a while now. They're obviously a very exciting and also intriguing team filled with storylines for a number of reasons, and uh, I feel like no one really around the hockey world has a has a better uh, kind of finger on the pulse for this team than you do. I, I really enjoy your work covering them on a day to day basis, and uh, I'm excited to unpack all this stuff and really get into the nitty gritty of it as uh, as much as we can here on today's show. I absolutely love that. I'm here for this. So let's start with the natural uh, starting point for this discussion, and it's Patrick Laine. And, you know, you obviously released recently this great uh, long forum read and feature on him, and you went to his hometown and you uh, you dug up a lot of, you know, fascinating nuggets and stuff that I would definitely recommend for people to go read at some point after they listen to this podcast. But uh, we'll kind of give them a little bit of a Spark Notes version of it and maybe get into uh, a discussion about him and sort of uh, kind of where he's headed as a player because obviously, you know, he's only in his third season and he's still 20 years old. So there's still a lot of room to grow, which is kind of a scary thing to say about a player who's trending towards 60 plus goals this season. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, against the grain, his shooting percentage is increasing incrementally as the seasons go by, too. So uh, he is a, it is a bit scary, I think, how how high those totals could get. Well, what do you think is a reasonable um, expectation or baseline for this? Because, you know, typically with stuff like this, we try to look at, uh, you know, historical comp- comparables or benchmarks for us to point at and go, OK, this would be a reasonable expectation for him. Like just in terms of anecdotally thinking about it, like prime Steven Stamkos before all the leg injuries kind of sapped some of his shooting talent and age obviously as well um, affected that. I feel like that is the most logical comparison here, just purely in terms of the, um, you know, the shooting profile in terms of 
the actual percentages he's shooting and the efficiency of it, but also the volume that he's been firing at, at least this season. I mean, I wrote about it as well at over at Elite Prospects last week, and he was shooting a fair amount, obviously, in his first two seasons in the league, but this year he's trended upwards towards being, um, you know, he's shooting the highest volume out of any player in the league on a permanent basis this season in all situations and that combined with the efficiency which hasn't eroded at all seemingly uh leads to a pretty lethal combination which actually makes me think that we could see a guy get into the 60s again which seemed as recently as the past couple seasons as uh kind of a, a number from a bygone era that we wouldn't see anytime soon yeah, I mean, how much fun is that, first and foremost? But the thing that I really liked about your piece is that it combined quality and quantity, and it looked at both in, in terms of uh, just how unique Patrick Wayne is right now. And if you look at the Winnipeg Jets season, there's kind of a touching moment or a, or a touchstone moment uh, where his shot rates and his uh, chance rates actually start to skyrocket at even strength. And that was the switch of Kyle Connor with Nick Ehlers. Uh, Connor onto the second line with Brian Little and Patrick Laine uh, had a huge impact. And um, after Laine's five goal night, I had a look at that. And in terms of shots per 60 at even strength, Laine was getting almost four extra shots with, uh, with Connor on that line than with Ehlers. And then uh, in terms of his individual scoring chances, he was almost, he was above four extra individual scoring chances per 60 minutes. So maybe roughly one per game um, based on his five on five minutes, just from that line switch alone. And I think that's one thing that, you know, even with the gaudy totals that Line w- was able to put together last season, um, I think the separation from Nick Ehlers helped him in a big way. He sees more of the puck. Kyle Connor is ever so slightly, a, he, he's a better puck hound in terms of uh, generating turnovers. He's got a pretty active stick. He's, he's very quick in, in a very aggressive sort of way. And I think that the, the fit there has been really excellent. And it's okay if Patrick Liney and Nick Ehlers are the best of buds off the ice. And it's hilarious to see them like just make fun of each other in the room and, and, and those things. But I think on the ice, Kyle Connor has been a much better fit for Liney. And at least at even strength, at least at 5-on-5, five five, uh, that's been part of it. And then the other thing is Winnipeg Jets power play this season, that top unit is operating at a much faster pace than it did last season in terms of its shot rates uh, for every player, um, almost every player, I should say. And then Line and Shifley are the two that are shooting more. Um, the increase in shot rate is disproportionately beneficial for Shifley and Line. So somehow they're finding them even more often. And I think that's been one of the, the crazy things about how Line is still improving his scoring rate. Yeah, I mean, he's absolutely been teeing off on that power play, what, 10, 10 power play goals so far. And it seems like, you know, similar to with Ovechkin on that Capitals power play unit, I know people say, oh, why doesn't the other penalty killing uh, unit just focus in on him and take away that shot and make the other guys beat them? And that sounds all well and good until you realize that you've got one of the best passers and playmakers in the league and in Blake Wheeler on the half wall. And you've got Mark Shifley, who himself is over the past three seasons shooting roughly 20 percent in that kind of bumper slot in the middle. And obviously, when Dustin Bufflin's healthy, you've got him as a, as a lethal offensive weapon and chess piece there on the point. And so when you have combine all that it's like opposing defenses i guess could <laughs> gravitate a bit towards line a but really you can't cheat on it too much because the other guys will happily beat you themselves so the end result has been him just absolutely teeing off there and i don't know like I'm, I'm glad you brought up connor he's such a fascinating player to me because obviously playing on that top line last year with 
Shifley and Wheeler, he found a lot of success, but I always thought of him as more of a sort of shoot first scorer, just based on the way he'd statistically profiled coming up through college and at the USHL level. And then obviously, um, scoring 31 goals last year on that top line but I guess maybe part of that was just sort of a necessity or sort of where he was playing in the lineup and now that he's being asked to play a different role he's serving as a bit more of a play next playmaker next to line a I mean I think ultimately regardless of how this plays out and what combination they land on this is a, a net positive for the Jets just because you know they're gonna have to make a decision on Kyle Connor as well as line a this summer uh, financially and contractually and sort of vetting what type of player he can be and whether he can thrive in different situations beyond just the best possible one with Shifley and Wheeler is a very important question for them to find an answer to before they commit however many uh, millions of dollars they will to them this summer. Yeah, exactly. It's a multi-million dollar question. Can Kyle Connor succeed on a line without necessarily being with Winnipeg's two best play driving uh, players in Shifley and Wheeler? The Jets needed an answer, um, and I think they need even more of one to, to make sure. But that switch is sort of giving them uh, giving them an opportunity to find out. It's gone well so far. Uh, in the in the comeback win against New York on the weekend on Sunday, um, there was a third period switch of, of Connor back to that line, and um, and they did have success, obviously. And the thing that I that I worry about there is then the Ehlers line a little combination on line two. It's a net loss for the Jets, but Connor has proven that he can fit in in either place. Um, by eye, I think one of the things that he does really uniquely um, is he times the way that he attacks, uh, whether it's the slot or let me put this a different way. When Shifley and Wheeler or, uh, or any jet have the, have the puck on the wall, they're trying to do their tight turns. They're trying to open up space. Uh, and then they get just a beat, just a moment to look up and fire that pass into the slot or somewhere dangerous. I don't think there's a player on the jets that times that attack better than Kyle Connor does. And I think that's why stylistically he's a better fit with uh, Shifley and Wheeler than Patrick Liney was when they tried that, that move because Liney didn't seem to know when he should be right with, uh, with the guys on the wall. Didn't know when he should be far away waiting for that one timer to launch. Meanwhile, Kyle Connor has figured out how to, how to be right there um, right at the right time. And then when he is with little and line, as he has been of late, uh, he seems to know when to defer to the other guys or when to, when to set up those other shots. And I think that his hockey IQ is, is really quite phenomenal. Uh, he's not at the point where he's 100% a play driver, but he's doing a, a lot of little things right uh, to, to think that I think Winnipeg's in good hands with him and they can, they can feel a lot more confident paying him now than, than I think if they had just extended him at September 1st. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I, I love him as a player and similar to Euler is I think what he, what makes him so effective as a player, but especially next to a guy like Line is sort of that um, north south ability to enter his zone with possession and sort of because of his combination of speed and skill, the opposing defense has to back off of him a little bit and all of a sudden that opens up even. You know, an extra hair of breathing room for Line A to potentially get a shot off. So I, I do love that combo. And, you know, I was thinking about this and I've commented on it, I think, on Twitter in the past, but it's just a testament to how loaded um, this Jets team is, particularly up front, that Kyle Connor sometimes, just because of the other names there, gets lost in the shuffle. I mean, if you think about it, how many teams out there in this league right now would be positioning Kyle Connor as sort of their foundational building block, up and coming superstar after he scored 31 goals last year as a 20 year old? 
world and you know i'm sure the jets think of him very highly and you and i do as well but in terms of the bigger picture and sort of how your casual hockey fan would probably think of him you know he's justifiably like the fifth or sixth guy um (laughs) that comes up in conversations when you're talking about all these weapons the jets have and and that's a very scary thing and also um kind of unfair to him because in his own right he's a fantastic hockey player yeah, um, note for note, word for word, I, I think that hits it. And I think that's the reality in Winnipeg. I mean, there is, uh, you know, there is the, the mentality here in town that, uh, that Winnipeg stars, even the, the Wheelers and Shifleys don't get enough notoriety around the league, um, commensurate to their ability. And then when you're looking at a guy who's buried, or not buried exactly, but further down the line of exactly like you said, you hit it note for note. Um, and to think that, yeah, maybe he's not getting as much, uh, fame and pomp and, and all those sorts of things as, as he would otherwise, uh, absolutely. And actually to, to go back to, to him on the power play, I think one of the reasons reasons why Shifley and Line are open more often this year than, than last is that he's been sneaking across the net front for a backdoor option or even sneaking around the net for a backdoor option for Blake Wheeler as well. And I think that just that little bit of variety, that little bit of, oh shit, there's this uh, part of me, there's this other no, thing that we it. have to cover. <laughs> Um, is uh, is uh, is creating space for his teammates? Yeah, no. There's a trust me. There's a lot of oh shit moments that uh, come across your mind when you watch this team play, and obviously uh, that's one of them. I'm very curious to see. Um, you know, it's purely speculation at this point, so it's not that interesting of a topic. But you know coming up here in the future the next question after this season is going to be how do the jets make this all work financially and how all those puzzle pieces fit and whether anyone's going to be um you know, on, on the way out just because they won't be able to fit them financially. And, you know, we talk about this with the Leafs a lot and what happened with Willie Nylander recently, but I'm very curious to see how both this season plays out for Kyle Connor and sort of what the Jets can reasonably get him for this summer because I think if he has the season he's trending towards now, I mean, he's kind of hovering around a point a game and obviously um, if he's on either of those top two lines, he's going to be in a great spot to, to put up quite a few counting stats. Um, I think that the ask that what, what, what Ehlers got the other year, which was what, uh, six million per for seven seasons, I believe that's going to be, um, on the low end of things Kyle Connor will be reasonably able to ask for. And obviously when you get into that tor- territory going along with some of the other guys that need to get paid, that's going to be a, uh, a tricky thing for Kevin Sheveldayoff and the Jets to figure out. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think the season that Connor's trending for makes Nick Ehlers a six million a floor, and all of a sudden William Nylander's deal, um, which I thought would come in above Connor. Um, well, if Connor stays near that point per game that he that he's at, I, I wonder if he can point to that as a hey, I, I deserve more than that too. And if it starts trending up into the sevens, which strikes me as possible. Um, even though today, I guess Gary Bettman announced that it could be about an $83 million cap. So that buys a little bit of space. It's going to be trouble in Winnipeg. There's a lot of expensive players. And then a huge question mark on defense with the Truba situation with Tyler Myers uh, being an unrestricted free agent. Uh, there's going to be some chaos in terms of cap management for Winnipeg. Yep. Although I think, uh, you know, as analysts and hockey fans, sometimes we make a bit too much of that, especially ahead of it. Um, like, it's obviously a great problem to have, and many, many teams out there would love to uh, have this tricky situation coming up for the Jets, trying to figure out how to make all those great players work together financially. Um, <laughs> before we get away from yeah. Line A, though, I mean, you know, he's shooting 20.4% this season, and typically... 
you know, if a guy has 21 goals in 26 games like Line A does right now and like we're seeing from, you know, Braden Point or David Pasternak or Jeff Skinner, or this early in the season you think, okay, let's look at the shooting percentage and it's generally in the 20s and you go, well, there's no way this is going to continue for 82 games. And once that comes down a little bit, even if it's still elevated, their goal total and the pace they're trending towards is going to level off to something more reasonable and something in the ballpark that we'd expect. Whereas with Line A, I mean, he was 18% on the dot nearly heading into this season. And, you know, sometimes we do see that if you increase your quantity, the quality goes down a little bit and the efficiency does. And that could possibly happen if he keeps firing the puck as much as he has this year. But assuming it doesn't level off that much, I mean, I just think we're headed towards such a fascinating Rocket Richard race with Line A and obviously um, the other guys I mentioned. But then you've got Alex Ovechkin, who is pretty much a lock for 50 goals at least and uh, is trending towards there again. And then maybe even Austin Matthews, if he can stay healthy and keep this off, can, can reinsert his name into the discussion so that's kind of something i've identified as one of my favorite subplots of this season you know it's we could be headed to one of those just epic uh races towards the end of the year where they're just trading goal for goal and basically the the guy who has the last say is going to win it and it seemed like we were going to have that race and that storyline last year and then line a fell off a little bit on ovechkin ran away with it but it really feels like this year we could be headed towards something special yeah, I think every time that you see somebody have a, a goal-scoring spike, you look for those signs. And I think fans across the league, no matter who the player is, they're always looking for reasons why their guy is going to keep that shooting percentage, uh, you know, in in that uh, unique <laughs> range. Let's say, I think Patrick Liney is that special of a shooter that uh, you know, if it falls off, if it fades below twenty, it's not falling too far. Uh, it really is one of the the best shots that that we've ever seen, and geez, like I get to watch it so often. It's just, it, it makes hockey fun. It makes hockey fun when any given moment, somebody can, uh, can just put a fire laser beam through the back of the net. Yeah. Yeah, no, it certainly does. Um, he's, I mean, listen, he's awesome to watch. And I love that he still has that kind of brash personality that he seemed like he was going to have heading into the league and that the NHL's, uh, no fun policy hasn't worn off on him and kind of taken away any of that. And obviously, you know, you get to cover that on a, on a closer day to day basis, but also, I kind of want to get into that trip you did make over to Finland to his hometown and talking to some of the people around him and in his life because uh, I, I really enjoy the insights that you put together on that piece, but maybe you could kind of share some of your uh, your funnest anecdotes or stories that came across from that uh, to the listeners. Yeah, the, the, the big, you know, the through line of that piece, I think, is that um, is that it's no surprise that a place like Tampere in Finland is the place that Patrick Laine came from. The history is rich, and the history and connection between Tampere and Winnipeg is rich as well. Going back to Tepo Newman, uh, who I was able to speak to for the piece, with lots of good insight to share. Um, even recently, uh, U of M women's bison, Ven Lahavi, uh, a two-time bronze medalist with the Finland uh, uh, national team as well, and now Patrick Laine. Um, so it's kind of funny. This summer I went just for pure tourism and travel. I visited Paris and, I, and, uh, and Dublin as well, two places I spent a few weeks in each. And in both of those cases, you can tell them, hey, I'm from Winnipeg. And they sort of go, hey, is that in Canada? Cool. Is that part of Toronto? 
And then in Tampere, in Finland, you can say you're from Winnipeg and they'll be like, oh yeah, uh, I, I know everything about Winnipeg. How's the, how's the bridge doing? Um, how's Patrick Laine doing? I think he needs to, to um, you know, work on his five on five defense. Okay, that's cool. Um, they know about Don Baisley. They know about Tepo Newman and they know about every connection that there is. And you don't have to explain it at all. Even 10 year old kids whose minor hockey practice I went up to, as soon as they put the two and two connection between me and Winnipeg, they're like, oh, Patrick Laine, also John. Jonathan Taves, they know they know completely, um, and that's just how rich the culture is in terms of hockey there and the connection that we have uh, between Winnipeg and there. Do you think you know you do mention that um, his sort of play off the puck and and the defensive part of his game, especially at even strength. Um, you know, sometimes I do get that pushback from people who obviously aren't Jets fans and Line A fans that when I mention his gaudy goal totals or, or some of the accomplishments he's had so far with all the hat tricks and sort of what he's tre- trending towards as one of the truly elite goal scorers we've ever seen, the pushback you do get is, you know, when he's not scoring, he's not that useful and how much value does he obvi- does he bring to his team? And, you know, there is certainly some of that in his underlying numbers where it seems like the Jets aren't necessarily dominating a 5 on 5 especially in terms of shot metrics, and he can be reliant upon his team teammates and you know at this age stage of his career it's fair to say that and and it's also equally fair to say that over the next handful of years he's going to grow into being a more well-rounded player but how much like how much merit do you think there is to that and if you're the Jets and you're thinking of whatever contract next contract he's going to get um how much do you factor that in as opposed to just sort of unabashedly giving him pretty much anything he wants because he's kind of like this once in a generation goal scorer (laughs) I think that, you know, the the thing that I think about is when I see those giveaways and other things is that clearly the guy has some room to grow. And I guess the piece talks about that as well in, in terms of uh, how Finnish, the Finnish system used to really fully restrict players like him. And in 2009, there was a bit of an eye-opening and a paradigm shift that made perhaps uh, this generation of players like Laine Rantanen and Aho and Puyuyarvi and so many others, uh, uh, Kako coming up in the next year's draft, so many of that high skill possible. But um, when I look at those giveaways and see the room to go grow part of me, I also kind of wonder how many of those giveaways turn into goals? You know, some fraction must. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many goals above replacement does Patrick Laine generate? And, you know, in the scheme of things, uh, for every, you know, um, moment that one of those uh, non-fans would cite as a complaint, uh, I think that even already the amount of goals that he's generating just by being him more than overcome that. And I think that he's helping Winnipeg win hockey games in, in a big way. Um, and that yes, he has room to grow, but also, I mean, he turned 20 at the end of last season. Alexander Ovechkin turned 20 in September of his rookie season in the NHL as well. So um, we sometimes look at Patrick Laine as a guy who's been in the league for a couple of years and uh, that might affect our perception of him. But when Alexander Ovechkin broke into the NHL in 2005, 2006, he turned 20 in, uh, in September of that same year. So we're finally getting a sense of, of that sort of comparison. I think Ovechkin probably is more likely to go down as a better play driver than Laine. I'm, I'm not trying to to say that, but uh, I think that perceptions are a little bit crueler to Patrick Laine at 5-on-5 than than even they should be. Yeah, and that's our new here in the background is the fun police coming to uh, tell us that we're too high on Patrick Laine and we need to settle down, but uh, no, you're right. I mean, listen, (laughs) uh, the two positives you would point to are 
I mean, clearly the youth still. And I think that if you look at Stamkos as a comparable in terms of uh, what I mentioned earlier as a shooter, he's also a guy who, as his career developed and and he gained more experience, um, you know, became a more well-rounded player. And especially in the past few years, he's become much more of a sort of five-on-five possession guy than he was early in his career. And the other thing is, you're right, I think Line A, um, just because of how big of a statistical anomaly he is, he's always going to be one of those guys that kind of breaks our expected goals models and the Jets can get away with not dominating the shot clock um, as much with him on the ice as they might with other guys just because uh, such a higher percentage of his looks wind up going into the back of the other team's net than to do with other guys so it's one of those things where you got to factor all of that in and he's certainly not a perfect player by any means um, but that doesn't mean that he can't still be supremely effective even with some of those flaws in his game. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think if you're, it's a chart in your piece uh, that sort of compared goals scored to expected goals, if it was line A and a bunch of nobodies, it would be a, a major sign for concern, but it's kind of a who's who of excellent scorers. And yep. it, it shows that there are people at those fringe percentages that, that, you know, really are that good at shooting and scoring in the NHL. And I, I think we, we're all coming to, to realize and, and reaffirm that he's definitely one of them. He certainly is. Um, Murat, let's take a quick break here to hear from a sponsor, and we're going to pick up this conversation on the other end of things. Sounds great. Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of websites and varying levels of reliability, how do you know who to trust out there? That's why SeatGeek's so clutch, because they take all the guesswork out of the equation for you. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so that you can easily find the seats you're looking for for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek's going to get you closer to action for a great value. Not only do they identify the best seats to fit your budget with their grading system, but every purchase is also fully guaranteed so you can shop with supreme confidence. That's why you need to make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. This time of year, some tickets would make for a great gift for that special someone in your life, even if that special someone is just treating yourself. Uh, One of my listeners, Aaron Feathers, sent me uh, a note that he used SeatGeek and our promo code to go watch Crosby versus McKinnon this week, and uh, I'm sure that's going to be an awesome game. I mean, those are two of the more exciting teams in the league and two of the most exciting players to watch, and along with guys like Ranton and Malkin and Kessel, I mean, there's so much goodness there, and that could be you. Um, I don't know much about Aaron Feathers, but he's clearly living life the right way based on his uh, his sporting event decisions. And uh, that, like I said, could be you, especially if uh, you take me up on this fact that as my listener, you're going to get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. To get in on it, all you have to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO today. That's promo code PDO for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now let's get back to the show. Okay, so... That was very positive, I feel like, overwhelmingly positive, talking about Line A and Connor and all these offensive weapons the Jets have. Um, I do have a couple things on my notes that I wanted to get to with you that um, you know are a bit more somber, a bit more of a bleaker outlook. And I, we do need to talk about the Dustin Bufflin situation and sort of how it was handled. Um, you know, he's on IR right now with, with a concussion symptoms. And I was pretty critical on Twitter of sort of how it was handled. And I think people misconstrued that as me saying that the Jets mishandled it. I think I have a much bigger issue with how the league handles these situations because even while they've put in uh, this concussion protocol in place and you do see guys get pulled for testing after uh, suspected uh, you know, incidents that happen like this where you think something could have happened, I think the fact, you know, what we do know about head injuries is that uh, sometimes some of these symptoms can manifest themselves after the fact and maybe 
when a guy is struggling to get over the boards and get onto the bench and needs to get pulled by his teammates, uh, maybe they should, that should outweigh the fact that five minutes later he did pass whatever test you gave him. So I think what I was critical about was just sort of the fact that he was a put back into the game and then b um obviously you know you'd see people both at the game in terms of fans but also uh commenters on twitter kind of lauding the fact that you know he toughed it out and went back into the game and i think that kind of you know hockey culture and macho bravado we see surrounding the game can sometimes be very toxic and detrimental to some of this long-term health so i don't know how do you feel about the whole thing and i I understand that it's a topic that is kind of uh you know tricky to talk about but i feel like it's also very important for us to get to when we're talking about the jets well yeah i think that that your show and your podcast gives enough room for nuance right we're not gonna we're not gonna crank this out in 180 characters so we can sort of say uh, maybe a little bit more three-dimensional, just like you just did, uh, a three-dimensional look at the situation. So what I believe is that it's possible for policy to be followed correctly and still be inadequate. And that's the heart of what I think of this situation. And um, to see Dustin Bufflin with those obviously wobbly legs, just barely standing, needing to be pulled over the bench and go out. Well, okay, here's one of the triggers for concussion protocol. He's got to, uh, he's got to go pass a concussion protocol test. And so um, the trigger is made. He goes, he passes the test, which is a bit of a shock to me, but possible. And I'm going to trust the doctors in that situation. And then he comes back out and he plays. So the Jets followed policy, but I mean, just like you said, when a guy's struggling that much and what we know about brain injuries at this stage of the game, um, clearly it was not in his best interest to continue to play. Uh, I should, I should, um, I guess, admit my biases first and foremost. I've had one concussion in my life that came with uh, several months of post-concussion symptoms. So if I were an NHL player, uh, if anything like that ever happened to me, I, I would refer refuse to be going back on the ice. So that's sort of my biases at play and just letting that out there. Um, I think with what we know about brain injuries in the NHL right now and brain injuries in other sports, the NFL, um, all of these sorts of things and the long-term impacts of these, you know, what is another 25 minutes of gameplay or, you know, compared to a person's career or their life. And if the symptoms are that bad as a guy hardly being able to, to move or propel himself off the ice by his own strength. Um, you know, I have no problem at all with saying that guy simply can't come back, uh, can't come back to, to play for the rest of the game. And, you know, let those tests 24 hours later, as some of those other symptoms could develop, let those tests come in and show, because I mean, in his case, you know, it doesn't seem like a lot of gray area, the amount that he struggled and, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's yeah, it's obviously not a good look, especially with, you know, the, we have this concussion lawsuit that's still pending and, and you have just this added emphasis and sort of uh, enlightening of knowledge in terms of what we do know about head injuries. And there's still so much room to grow in that regard. But I mean, I get that, you know, these players, obviously, um, all of them will want to come back into the game and play and they're going to say they're fine if they're asked. And it, it, you're right. I think the distinction here is that the Jets certainly followed the concussion protocol and he was pulled for the testing and happened to pass it. And there's no reason to doubt that he didn't pass those tests. But if this is happening, I think maybe if you're the league, you do need to reevaluate that exact policy because it's just one regular season game. And even if this happened in the playoffs, I would say the same thing where sometimes you just have to make the executive decision that, listen, this guy is not in the right frame of mind. We just saw him struggling very badly to stand on his own two feet. And the fact that he's suddenly back in the game, 
uh, you know, potentially taking more body checks and incurring more brain damage just for the sake of trying to win this one hockey game seems incredibly silly to me. And I would like to see a firmer stance on that. And I understand that, you know, some of your uh, traditionalists might take issue with it. I'm sure the players aren't going to be too happy with it. But at the end of the day, I feel like from a risk reward perspective, um, it would be a, a massive net positive to take this stuff more seriously based on what we know. Yeah, and given that there's a known critical period after brain trauma where secondary brain trauma can be even more significant and more substantial, um, I think that that's a situation where playing through it should be discouraged as much as possible. I mean, um, as much as concussions are sort of an invisible injury and you can talk to somebody who has a concussion, and I'm not talking from a medical perspective, but just out in the world, a guy who's coming off a concussion, you could talk to them, have what seems like an ordinary conversation with them um, and not realize that, that there's something going on, whereas if a guy's got a broken arm or broken leg or something like this, it's very different, or you know all the bruises that players play through all the time. Um, the, the biggest difference, I think, is that that brain injury can compound in a way that a broken ankle, a broken toe, uh, you know, a sprained wrist, uh, there's at least a, they won't compound that much and the long-term life-changing elements of that are a little bit less in terms of quality of life later down the line. So, I mean, I have room in me for some of that bravado and some of that, especially during the playoffs, you know, putting everything on the line for that one thing that you want so badly. But when it comes to the brain injuries, uh, that's sort of where it stops for me. Yeah, no, that's well said and I completely agree with that. Um, okay, let's let's move on and... I want to talk about Connor, Connor Hellebuck a bit because, you know, he's obviously in year one of this six-year, uh, $37 million new deal, and he's coming off of not only a great individual season, but I imagine for Jets fans and Jets brass and everyone in Winnipeg, uh, such a welcome sight to have a great goalie season like that and having a guy finally that you can rely upon and depend upon at such a volatile position. And, you know, so far it's only 20 games worth, but it's been a pretty uneven performance. There's been a bunch of stinkers sprinkled in there in between. And, you know, fortunately for the Jets, uh, there's still plenty of time here for him to write the ship. And also Laurent Brassois, who they brought in as a backup, has been incredibly reliable for them. Uh, he's been having a couple of games where he's kind of stood on his head and had 40-plus save performances. How much concern is there with his performance? And sort of where are we at with Connor Hellebuck? Because while he was great last season, we should point out that so far in his early career, he has kind of yo-yoed back and forth from one season to the next. And I think it's still safe to say we don't necessarily know for certain what his baseline level of performance is. Although um, I imagine, you know, I feel I at least feel this way that he's obviously a very talented player and hasn't shown us any reason to, to believe that he can't bounce back and be something around a 920 goalie. But obviously so far this season, uh, the Jets have needed more than they've gotten from him. Yeah, he's under the, the microscope. And I can tell, you know, um, from the from the Twitter mentions and the Twitter responses and things like this, that uh, I think Jets fans have come to the point where they're beginning to lose patience in Connor Hellebuck. And I mean, by the eye test, some of the goals that have squeaked through his arms or, um, you know, the Mark Stahl goal from, from the New York Rangers game on Sunday, there are, uh, there are some visual reasons to think that, hey, this guy's not at the top of his game. Um, and then the question becomes, you know, is he going to find that game? And in the summertime, when he signed that deal, I called him a good bet to be a very good goaltender. I, I see him as an above average, possibly flirting with top 10 moving forward in terms of, uh, in terms of those rates. But as we all know, uh, save percentage is volatile and predicting goaltending is, is, is really quite rough. 
Um, I certainly didn't see Laurent Brassois, um having the season thus far that, that he had based on his previous numbers. And so while patience might be broken or at least tested in two months, I don't think that we're at the point where that gives us a good uh, evaluation of whether he'll, he'll pull it back together. Um, one of the things that I look at with Winnipeg this, this season is the quality of passes that they're giving up. And uh, that stall goal, I think, is a perfect, perfect uh, description of Hellebuck's season. So um, there had been some turnovers. The puck ended up in Winnipeg's zone. Stall's sitting below uh, the face-off dot to Hellebuck's left for ages with time. So it's a, it's a dangerous spot. It's, uh, it's a little bit of chaos in Winnipeg's zone, and Stall's got the puck uncontested. Uh, I think Hellebuck at the top of his game last season comes out, challenges, plays big, plays compact, and there's not really much chaos to his own motion. But as Mark Stahl stood there and waited and waited, Hellebuck basically disappeared from the goal and and opened up a spot for Stahl to bury it to. Um, And I think it was a combination of an an overarching theme in Winnipeg where the chance quality has gone way up against uh, Connor Hellebuck. Um, But as that's happened, he has, uh, he's also sort of worked against his, himself. So uh, I think there's a little bit of gray area, but he clearly needs to be better as the season goes on. Yeah, I mean, he obviously was a Vesna finalist last year, and I believe he was top 10 in terms of goals saved above average. Kind of, He was like a plus 20 almost, and this year, obviously, uh, it hasn't been the case. He's been a negative goalie in terms of performance compared to your league average, and they're going to need more from him, I think, if you get to the point uh, where we're like around the All-Star break and he still has the numbers he has so far, then I would be much more alarmed. I think we're still at the point of the season where if he rattles off three or four straight games in, that are you know what he was doing last year in a row all of a sudden those numbers are going to look better and everyone's going to relax and sometimes that kind of stuff just happens we, we, we place a bit more of an added emphasis because it is the first 20 games of the season whereas if he was doing this in the middle of the year maybe he would have gotten a bit of a longer leash from the fans but it is what it is I, I do you know you mentioned that sort of defensive scheme and sort of what they're giving up in front of them and I'm trying to get a better grasp of this Jets team because obviously the talent there is through the roof their power play is lethal all the pieces are there in place for this to be one of the best handful of teams in the league and you know based on win-loss record and where they're at in the standings they're hovering around there they're slightly below their pace in terms of wins and points and goal differential last year but the actual um, underlying five on five numbers themselves seem to be um, they've created a little bit they aren't necessarily that drastically different from last year. The expected goals themselves at five on five are under fifty percent, which is kind of surprising to see from a team of this caliber. But like what do you chalk up those defensive changes to? Because for the most part, the actual personnel itself is relatively unchanged from last year. It seems like I don't know, is it just a case of a team that, you know, made the Western Conference final last year and once again has Stanley Cup aspirations kind of pacing itself and trying to navigate this 82 game season? Or is there something there that's sticking out as a red flag for, you know, potentially troublesome signs that are going to continue down the road? Can I give you two completely different answers to this question? Absolutely. Okay. One, narrative only, not a number or any rationality to it whatsoever. Winnipeg Jets coming out of the best season in their history, 
expectations through the roof. Captain, big deal. Um, every single day in the dressing room, they're being asked this question compared to last year, compared to last year. How's camp going compared to last year? How's your first game compared to last year? And I think that dealing with the weight of that expectation uh, did get into the room to a certain degree, um, strictly because of how often it was talked about. And it wasn't up until about the week before the Finland trip where the narrative changed. And now every single question was about Finland coming up. And um, in terms of the room, you have players like Blake Wheeler, you have a coach, Paul Marie, sort of acknowledging that there was a little bit of, of too much focus on last year's results in the first month of this season. And perhaps that's what it is. They needed that Finland trip as a bookend, come back, sort themselves out. That's the narrative answer for, for what, what's happening. Um, but I don't think that's necessarily going to convey the entirety of the truth. Um, the single biggest personnel change on the Winnipeg Jets roster this season versus last is taking Toby Enstrom off of Dustin Bufflin's pairing and replacing him with Ben Sherratt. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to say that that in and of itself is everything, but you commented on expected goals rates, shot rates, and things aren't wildly different. Um, but when you drill into the rates, there's a bit of a pattern that emerges. So in terms of shots for and shots against, shot attempts for, shot attempts against, this season's Winnipeg Jets are almost identical to last season. Their shots for, their shot attempts for are virtually identical in terms of a rate uh, per 60 minutes to last season. The shots against, the shot attempts against, almost identical to what they gave up more uh, last season. But when you start going a little bit more towards shot quality, I mean, high danger scoring chances as um, the old war on ice model that we look at at natural stat trick, um, that's where the rates really begin to shift. Winnipeg's creating roughly as much in terms of high danger scoring chances, but is giving up much, much more. And it's that quality, it's that home plate. Same with expected goals, though not quite as disproportionate, where I believe that the Jets are essentially the same through the neutral zone. They're still getting their looks in the offensive zone, but those and they're giving up the same total amount of shot attempts uh, in their own zone this year, but they're coming much more dangerously, much from much more so from that home plate area. Um, if those me just listing off numbers wasn't good, you can go to hockey viz and look at the heat maps for this as well. This season, uh, there's an awful lot of red right in front of Connor Hellebuck last season. It is absolutely blue in, in terms of the, the slot and, uh, and the low crease or the low slot, pardon me. Um, so, I think that the numbers and the visual representations point to the fact that the prime real estate in Winnipeg is easier to get to when you consider that Dustin Bufflin and, and Toby Enstrom were among the uh, the very best in the league as a pairing in terms of preventing high danger scoring chances last year. There is going to be a bit of give there. Ben Sherrod has played better than I expected. He's been fine, but it's still quite a substantial drop-off. His minutes have gone up by a few minutes per game, even strength. Toby Enstrom's no longer there. Um, and as a result, in terms of high danger chances against per minute, Dustin Bufflin's rate from this season, which leads the team, would have been about sixth or seventh on last year's Winnipeg Jets as well. There's a lot more quality going up uh, against the Winnipeg Jets in, in front of their net. And I think that 
part of that is that personnel change and part of that is just guys missing their men and uh, and making mistakes which which has happened a bit more often yeah it's kind of a tricky topic to tackle because obviously um you know expectations can really change the perspective on things and if they didn't have the year they had last year and you know they were having this type of performance i don't think people would be uh making a big deal out of it or, or kind of sounding the alarm you'd go like oh this is still a you know a really good team and they're winning a bunch of games and they're right there in a playoff spot in the in the central division and i think at the end of the year they're going to be fine but obviously we all came into the year expecting them to potentially even take another step forward in the right direction just based on some of the ages and youth that they have on their team and what we saw last year towards the end of the year and i don't know like i on the one hand i think there is some alarming stuff on the other hand i think this is a team that is kind of easing into the season and clearly has another gear or two to hit and obviously at coming surrounding the trade deadline if they make a similar addition to what they did last year with paul stasny as a rental and they go out and get another guy whether it's someone to fill that answer spot and play on dustin bufflin's uh pairing or whether it's to add another forward up front uh that would obviously provide them with a nice little shot in the arm and i i wouldn't be surprised to see that at all but i do think that you know it's just one of those situations where similar to a conversation i had with alan wells on this podcast recently where we talked about the lightning it's like i think this is a team that's kind of just ramping its way up slowly and eventually they're going to get there and it's obviously not an incredibly satisfying way to go about business for their fan base i'm sure and it's causing some of their fans to uh, lose their hair and pull it out but at the end of the day um there is a bigger picture view here and it doesn't really matter to this team whether they peak right now because all that matters is that they are in a playoff spot and they're humming when they approach those that postseason yeah, and, and they're further ahead at this moment this season than this moment last season as well. Um, it took them a little bit of personnel shuffling around uh, and finally getting the full health with Matthew Perot. Uh, I think it was about November 16th of last year before things took off. Their underlying numbers were actually quite poor before that. Um, so uh, the idea that over the course of a season that things can change and things can improve definitely makes sense to me. And I, and I do think that um, it seems likely to me even – looking at the trends up until Bufflin's injury, actually, I, I think the team defense was, it was in fact improving. Um, I think that that second pairing left defense spot is an important weakness. And if, if Winnipeg's really going to, to make any noise in the, in the playoffs, I think that that needs to be addressed, uh, but it's a good team and it's, uh, it's trending up until that injury um, in, in a good direction. And I say up until that injury, you know, they won three games in a row, but they've been absolutely chaotic since that's happened. And it's magic for them. It's magic for Winnipeg because they get to keep banking points and keep boosting that playoff spot, basically ensuring it uh, to speak a bit confidently on it, um, while not necessarily playing flawless hockey. And I think it buys them an awful lot of time to get those things going. Yeah. And I guess the other positive is, I mean, if you look around that Western Conference, I mean, the Pacific Division is obvious a mess in and of itself. And in the Central, I think that, you know, for a lot of reasons, the Predators are a team that this Jets team is kind of sizing itself up against and seems headed towards another crash course in the playoffs. And it'll probably be another epic seven game series. But obviously, while they are ahead of them in the standings ever so slightly now, they have their own injuries with Forsberg and PK Subban out. So I'm sure they're going to hit their own little rough patch in the road here. So yeah, I mean, over an 82 game season, you're not going to have, um, you know, a perfect string of games. And it's probably good that they're getting it out of the way this early. Uh, Murat, let's take one more quick little break here and then we're going to finish up this conversation uh with some other topics at the end have you finished your holiday shopping yet 
If you're like me, you're probably procrastinating and waiting till the last minute to finally get started. And starting is honestly the trickiest part of the holiday shopping, because when you have such a long list, you don't know where to start to chip your way at it. That's why this year, MeUndies is going to make life easier for you, because they've got everything you need from stocking stuffers to full-on gifts to help you get started shopping for your loved ones. It can be tricky shopping for other people because everyone's got different tastes and styles, but if there's one thing that everyone will be united in, it's loving MeUndies and the products they provide. They use a coveted micromodal fabric that's three times softer than cotton, and having worn them myself, I can confirm that it's pure bliss in underwear form. But despite their name, MeUndies is so much more than just underwear. They've also got cozy lounge pants, onesies, socks, and bralettes in the same super soft fabric. Plus, they release multiple fun prints each month, so you can either experiment with new looks or get a matching pair with your partner. And now, MeUndies actually has a great offer for my listeners. For, my, for any late adopters or any first-time purchasers, when you purchase MeUndies, you're going to get $15 off, and if you're living in the States, you're going to get free shipping as well. To make sure that your stuff arrives by Christmas, just order by December 16th. Or if you're still on the fence and you're not sure what to get, you can also just get a gift card so that special someone in your life can pick up their own stuff. I mean, that's honestly a no-brainer. You get 15, 15% off the most comfortable underwear you've ever worn. To get that 15% off and 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com PDO. That's MeUndies.com PDO. Now let's get back to the show. Okay, um... The one other thing that I wanted to get is sort of a bigger picture kind of uh, macro view of how this team was built. And, you know, we've seen a lot of turmoil and a lot of transition uh, from more chaotic franchises this season, whether it's, um, you know, the Oilers firing their coach or whether it's the Flyers firing their GM. And it gets to this whole bigger conversation that you and I were having uh, on Twitter before we started recording about how this Jets team was constructed and sort of obviously they haven't necessarily won anything yet. I mean, they made the Western Conference final last year, but in terms of providing a blueprint for other rebuilding teams to follow and potentially glean some from that they can use for themselves, I think the thing you keep coming back to is sort of the patience uh, that this was all constructed with and also, uh, you know, the luxury of slow playing this um, that Paul Maurice and Kevin Sheldayoff were afforded in terms of giving a bit of a longer leash and sort of going through uh, that rebuilding phase without having to look over their shoulders. And now all of a sudden you have this kind of more sustainable, well-rounded contender that was a bit more organically built. And I understand that based on ownership and certain other logistics, certain franchises aren't afforded that luxury, but I think if you know you're pointing to how sh- other teams should go about it, this would probably seem like a pretty way to, pretty good way to kind of steal something from them in terms of when you're looking at a blueprint. I just have to say I absolutely love that phrase, uh, luxury of slow playing. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think that that applies to the Winnipeg Jets' success um, completely, uh, and both in terms of its meaning and its impact, but also just. Uh, a little, bit, a little bit of poetry behind that, Dim. I, I really like that. The luxury of slow playing it. Um, and, and I think it's true. In, in Winnipeg, they have focused on, quote-unquote, the process. They focused on drafting and developing. And they keep, perhaps with one, you know, one uh, exception of a, of a trade-up for Logan Stanley, who remains more of a project than a sure thing, but they keep hitting year after year after year with their first-round picks and finding uh, players deeper in, uh, in the draft as well. And then um, they, they seem to have the luxury of 
of going slow with those players. And when you have a line A or, or someone unique like this, being able to promote them when the time is right as well. Um, talk, we talked about uh, Kyle Connor to open things up and what better landing spot could there possibly be in a strong link NHL than on the left wing of Mark Shifley and, and Blake Wheeler. And he spent more than half of his minutes last season with those two players. It's a good situation for players to come into. Um, and I think that the long-term stability of the franchise has sort of, uh, has sort of created that. You know, they hit with Mark Scheifele, he became who he is, and it gave them another driver with Blake Wheeler that they could give that opportunity to, uh, to, a, to a guy like Connor or, or now Ehlers when he needed a shot in the arm and things have gone well. Um, there isn't that day-to-day volatility or the need to, I don't know, fire a coach to save your job or change a certain part of your staff or whatever those sorts of things are that can sort of distract from the long-term vision. And I'm not saying that it's been perfect. There are certainly things, even this season, that, that folks criticize. And, you know, there's been some question marks about the fourth line. And uh, um, Rosovic hasn't been perfect at center and other sorts of things. Or, or Nick Patan struggling to get major minutes. Sami Niku's next up. Like, there are things. But when the big rocks are all taken care of and uh, they have the patience to sort of see that through and they continue to hit with the draft, I, I mean, hey, maybe sometimes being an under-the-radar team isn't such a bad thing. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think, obviously, uh, I mean, just the, the perspective on it has changed so much. I, I was critical of the job Paul Maurice was doing a couple of years ago, and now uh, he's personally been one of my favorite coaches this year. I feel like he's killing it on these, but both in terms of strategically and the actual job he's doing, but also it seems like he's kind of the perfect uh, coach from a temperament perspective for this team right now in the city and, and sort of some of the quotes he's been giving in interviews and stuff like that like I don't know just the way uh, that entire situation has evolved kind of speaks to how you know sometimes this stuff takes you need more time for it to play out and obviously if we closed the book on it three years ago who knows what this team would look like right now and how things would have played out so I think that's something that's kind of just important to uh, keep perspective of and and keep an eye on when you're a fan of another team and things haven't gone your way for two seasons and all of a sudden you're crying and demanding change sometimes you know sometimes it's justified but other times you just kind of need to give time for stuff to organically grow like it has in Winnipeg. Yeah, there's so many different reasons that teams win, right? I mean, sometimes it can be hot stretches of percentages. Sometimes uh, it it can, well, that was going to just repeat myself. It can be luck, essentially. Sometimes (laughs) it's based on uh, a power play. Sometimes, you know, or or goaltending, whatever it is, right? And um, I think a coach has a huge number of decisions to make and a huge amount of things that they're responsible for. And if the big rocks are in place, if the, if the systems, uh, power play penalty kill are good, if they're finding ways to generate chances for important areas of the ice, um, and getting through the neutral zone while getting those entries and exits, I think coaches have an impact on that. Great. Um, Obvious, talent is a huge part of what happens once you get in those zones, I think, anyway. Um, and Winnipeg has been blessed with that, for sure. Uh, but when those when those major rocks are in place, then uh, it becomes a little bit, you know, those every team has a fourth-line decision or every team has a prospect that they want to move faster. And, you know, there are times, you know, I think Winnipeg would be well-served to, to get a player like Sami Niku more minutes this season, even though he hasn't started hot, they could come to a point later this year where they depend on a player like that. Um, 
or he can give them more than Sherrod or more or Kulikov. That's one example. But those become further and further down the priority list and further and further down the impact list, I think, uh, at least in the short term as the season goes along. So when most of the the big items are, are checked and, and players are still playing for the person, um, I, I think it's a good sign. And, uh, you know, I'll always be biased a little bit in favor of a guy who's a good quote and Paul Maurice is, <laughs> Paul Maurice is an excellent one. Yeah, I know. He certainly helps you with your job. And another guy that kind of, you mentioned Sam, Sammy Niku there, and I like him quite a bit. Also, Mason Appleton has finally gotten the call up and is playing on that fourth line. And we'll see uh, what the Jets do there and how long he sticks with the team. But obviously, based on his uh, AHL performance, it's very encouraging. And just having guys like that that you can kind of call up and potentially get creative with is, is such a massive luxury that these great teams seem to always have because when you're paying all your top guys the big bucks you do need to have young players on ELCs that can come in and step in and potentially be reliable players for you and I'm very curious to see what the Jets do towards the end of this year I mean approaching the trade line obviously they went out last year and I don't think they necessarily paid an exorbitant price for Paul Stasny but it was certainly deviating from their MO in recent years and getting a guy to waive his no move clause to come to Winnipeg and play for that team was a big step in the right direction towards sort of positioning them uh, as a contender from a market marketability perspective and I imagine um, you know whether it's selling a, a defenseman on playing next to Dustin Bufflin or whether it's uh, getting another forward and saying you're going to be in our top six next to all these other great players like it's a pretty uh, you know up appetizing uh, role for a guy to step into so we'll see what this Jets team looks like at the trade deadline but I imagine uh, they're going to be making some noise again if they're in a position to do so and it'll be fascinating to see what that player is and sort of how it changes their trajectory and their ceiling from a from a playoff perspective. Yeah, Paul Stasny was a rabbit out of a hat, I thought. I don't think too many people saw that coming from Shovel Day off. And then, I mean, there's the hope that, that he's able to do it again. But I think that one of the things that your point underscores is, you know, the Jets did give up a, a first-round draft pick, and they g- did give up Eric Foley, who's a promising prospect, though he was hurt earlier this season. Um, they traded Joel, Joel Armia for, for cap considerations, essentially, with that Steve Mason deal to, to Montreal. And yet they still have pretty impressive forward depth, uh, even beyond the top 12. And it gives them a little bit of ammunition to maybe go out and and address those things, uh, those patch up some holes, uh, as, as the case might be, or even pull another rabbit out of the hat. They're, they are a well-positioned team. Um, every team has strengths and weaknesses, but they are a well-positioned team in terms of trying to take that next step. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially as we know uh, that trade deadline period can really turn into a bit of an arms race when all these contenders are, are loading up and having the assets to go out and do so um, is a great luxury for Shovel Day off and the Jets um, Murat, plug some stuff what, uh, what are you working on these days um, and what can people expect from you and where can they find your work well, first off, if you haven't read Finding Patrick Liney, the Patrick Liney feature that went up at The Athletic at the end of last week, you need to do that. Uh, it details how an, an entire country's system, uh, an entire city, and Patrick Liney himself worked together to make him the player and the hilarious human being that we know and love. So that's at The Athletic. It's called Finding Patrick Liney. Uh, and then throughout December at The Athletic, we have the future of hockey and uh, all sorts of segments from, uh, I think, one that I just saw go into the editing hopper was, uh, was the future of women in broadcasting. One that went up today was uh, projecting the 2020 NHL draft. Uh, there's going to be a ton of great hockey stuff, uh, even in addition to the uh, regular programming. And then for the Winnipeg Jets, I've got some player grades and... 
uh, a bit of a one-third marker review of, of the team's performance so far coming up in the next week or so. Well, that sounds excellent, and I definitely recommend everyone goes checks it out. And I imagine uh, you and I are going to be doing a podcast sometime down the road because this Jets team, um, you know, obviously is great right now. But I think with all the moving pieces and some of the uncertainty in the future, there is a bunch of stuff for us to dissect and talk about, hopefully. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. And when we do have something more to talk about, uh, I will certainly ring you up and we'll do this all over again. Heck yes. All right. Chat soon, man. I can't end today's show without a stick tap in the direction of Puckpedia, which aside from being a gracious sponsor of the Hockeypedia cast, has also helped make today's episode possible. It may have only recently launched, but Puckpedia.com has already become an invaluable resource for me whenever I'm doing my show prep for this podcast. Whether it's salary cap info, draft and transaction history, individual player stats, or injury news, Puckpedia is great because it's got everything you need to know in one convenient place so that you don't need to bounce around from tab to tab and clog your internet browser trying to figure out what you're looking for. Plus, they really put an emphasis on making the entire thing user-friendly so it's easy to navigate even for someone like me who's not necessarily all that tech-savvy. My personal favorite component of the site is their agent leaderboard, which identifies the top agents and who they represent. When I was looking ahead to Patrick Liney's upcoming contract and my discussion with Murat here on today's show about it, um, I searched it up and I was reminded that he's got the same agent as the guy who got Vlad Tarasenko and Leon Dreisaitl paid coming off their ELCs, and the same guy who also represents Miko Rantanen. So uh, just something to keep in mind and uh, not too shabby. Um, anyways, go to Puckpedia.com and play around with all their cool features yourself and follow them at Puckpedia on Twitter since they're constantly tweeting out useful nuggets of info. Um, also a couple other things before we get out of here, you can, uh, go check out the show now on Spotify. Uh, it's been up there for about a month or so. And I've noticed that a bunch of you have uh, gravitated over there and are using that to listen to the show now. And I appreciate that. But once again, whatever, uh, whatever makes you comfortable or whatever is your uh, go-to source, whether it's iTunes or Google play or, or what have you, or Spotify, um, as long as you're listening to the show, that's all that matters. And also, um, if you could take a minute and go over to iTunes and leave the show uh, a positive rating and review, that's always appreciated. I'm not totally sure how their algorithm works and how their uh, rating system works on the uh, on the leaderboards for the podcast, but I've been told that that stuff goes a long way towards boosting the PDO cast up the charts. So hopefully you'll take the time to do that. And um, with that said, now we're finally ready to get out of here. So we're going to play the outro music and we will be back later this week with one, maybe two shows. So until then. The Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO cast.